Welcome back to the podcast, guys. Episode 11 today, and we're going to be talking about ag tech and why so many people are, in, are, are investing in agriculture, both in ag tech and in ag lands. And I think it's really interesting to look at the rush by so many. I mean, if you, if you watch the news or you're reading the news, you're going to see reports in the Wall Street Journal about some of the largest landowners in the United States being some of the most wealthy people. Jeff Bezos is on that list as being number one or number two. Elon Musk, Bill Gates. These guys are, are, are taking their investments from their traditional tech sector, software and whatnot, and they're moving that into agriculture. And some of that investment is in traditional agriculture. Some of it is in ag tech. And in today's guest, we've got Craig Fielding. Craig is with us from, you want to, Fusionware, we want to call it that? Fusionware, yes. Okay, so Craig's with us from Fusionware. It's a software actually that we use in our operation to help, well, in the entire process actually, from our shipping to our our, uh, inventory management to our traceability. But he's involved heavily in the ag tech sector and his insight is interesting and valuable. And it's interesting for me to, to, it will be interesting to have you guys along as we have this conversation, as we talk about what's happening and why he thinks it's happening. I can speak to why I think folks are investing in ag lands, but why folks are, are deciding that investing in ag tech is a different question. So Craig, you want to introduce yourself and then maybe start with that. Why do you think people are investing in ag tech? Yeah. Now, first of all, privileged to be here today. Uh, appreciate Shay giving me this opportunity to, uh, to, to relay some thoughts. I think this is going to be a fun conversation yeah, here so. today. Uh, my background, been in software technologies for the past 30 plus years, been in financial technologies, uh, been in pharmaceuticals, actually been in some mobile technologies. And in late 2013, 2014, uh, kind of got sucked into this ag space and, and back in because grew up on a farm. Uh, family still owns some farmland. And I thought, man, I could take a year's worth of uh, this experience. As I got further into this, I saw that uh, there was a lot of uh, opportunity, candidly, within this space to apply technology. Is that partially because ag is slower to adopt a lot of things? Very much slow. I've, I've got so many stories, Shay, that I could, <laughs> we could have some fun times talking about some of the offices and, and, that we walked into. And since you do that, so. why do you think that's the case? Why, are there, why, why the hesitation among farmers or people in agriculture to adopt the technology? Is there, is there like a common thread, anything that you see? So, yeah, there is a very common thread. So what, what we're seeing is the, the generational. Uh, so what we see is the old generation has been very slow to adopt uh, software and technology. And, and for them, it, it's really this physical. Uh, one thing that we always laugh about in our office is it's not hard for a farmer to go out and spend a significant amount of money on items and equipment that they right. can physically touch and grab. Yeah. No, I, what, when it comes to soft, I mean, you I agree relate. with you. No, I can totally relate. Cause like the idea of when we were starting like any, any more, our monthly, you know, subscription rate on what we pay for software is, um, to me, astoundingly high. Yes. Um, and it is, it is, it's completely intangible, right? It's, it, and so if you, if you put a, a packing line on your production floor or you buy a tractor or a truck, you get to use it and you physically can see what the result is. And when it comes to software, there, there are actually some results that you can physically see in labor savings and in some efficiencies and stuff like that, but it's not at all the same. And so, yeah, it's, it's different. It it is different, but, but we have this generational divide now. So you have this generation that we're finding is this generation of farmers that are now starting to either sell their farms or sell their operations 
to this next generation coming in. And it's, it's quite, uh, it's serious because these kids are coming a lot of times from other companies that technology and software is very advanced. I mean, highly advanced into operations that are running a lot of times still on paper spreadsheets and a, and a, an assorted mix of technology that requires multiple data input through the entire supply chain. I think the other piece of that too is what we do in agriculture that makes, you know, trying to implement software harder Mm -hmm. is if I run a factory. So from a packing shed standpoint, what we do in production on a daily basis is pretty straightforward. Like we put this many pounds in and we get this many pounds out so we can measure the shrink. We can measure what line a, B and C and D are producing. But when it comes to the production, like the growing side of agriculture, that doesn't work. We can't just count the number of seeds that we put in the ground and then calculate what our yield's going to be because there's there's so many factors that are that mother nature impacts. Like you've got you got wind and rain and drought and pest pressure. You've got all of these things that come into play. So you can't just take data point A and subtract data point B and get, you know, your answer as 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 C. And so it, it makes the ability to track all of that information, it makes it more important, but it also makes it like less accurate and it's less accurate because of the outside impacts that you wouldn't have in a, in a strictly production setting. Does that it, make sense? It, I think to me that sense. makes it, it makes total sense. I think that, and maybe we're getting a little ahead in our conversation, but I think while we're talking about that, I think that's key because how many different systems are you using today through that supply chain? And I'm, you know, I'm sure there's several different tools that you're using today to be able to do all of that tracking and, and identification right. to, to try and see what those yields are. Right. When we gather so much data and so, you know, there, there's, they talk about this all the time, like, okay, you're gathering all this data and it's going to be worth something. If you could look back retro retroactively, right. Or retrospectively, I, I think of like the, what they did in Iraq, this is a bit of a tangent, but it, it'll make sense here in a second mm-hmm. when they were running those drones constantly over Baghdad. Mm-hmm. And then when there was a bombing, they would, track that bomb that was set off until they found the person walked to the field. And then they'd run that film in reverse all the way until they found out where that person came from. Right. Right. So it was almost like being able to time travel. And I think that's where we are in agriculture with all these different variables. We're collecting the data, but we still haven't learned how to really use it. Like at some point we will should need to gather it and then extract the value that's there. Like for example, this year we have, comparatively, for some reason, we have a very, very high quality onion crop versus a lot of our neighbors. That's not always the case. In fact, it's generally not the case. Usually if our neighbors have problems, we have problems. We did something this year. We don't know what it is. And we've talked about it over and over. It's going to save us lots of money and, and have a lot of help us have a lot of happy customers, but we have no idea what we did. That's different. And, and see, it's in the data. That, It'd be there. It, it's in the data. It's there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if we talk about ag tech, there's all of these things developing, happening. What's the most disruptive thing that you see happening in the next five years or less? And, and that's a tough question because there is, there's so much investment. There's a lot of things happening in ag tech. And so I think a lot of the, the, the most disruptive is I think that as you look out in the investment uh, and what's happened over the last four years, I mean, let's, let's talk about that. Maybe that will roll to my, to my final answer. And that is, just in the last 
uh, you know, since 2017, we've seen, you know, three, 400% increase in investment in ag tech. So, you know, 600 plus new companies, new ag tech companies are, are popping up every year worldwide. Obviously, that's not sustainable. So we're starting to see some of this start to roll up. And as more and more of that investment dollar, dollars happen, I think one of the most disruptive pieces of this is information and, and data collection. Because now we've got all these different systems. We have drones. We have robots Satellites. out in the field. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have all these different systems that are collecting all of this data. But as you see, we're not actually utilizing an animal. In a lot of cases, it. we're not utilizing it. We're Most not, of the time, I would say. And, I, and, I, and that's where I think the, one of the more disruptive pieces of this will be is when we actually can have a centralized system or the ability to utilize that data to where we can get real information and, and real answers from that data. Right. I don't think we're getting real answers because it's everything's an island. We have, yeah, all these yeah, data, yeah. we have all these data islands through the entire supply chain, which kind of lends to some of these other questions we're going to get into. Because there's all these data islands, we've got to bring that together. Right. And so before we started recording, you talked about the vertical farming. So I'm actually, yes. this, this makes me yep. think of that because that is the another advantage of the indoor farming trend. Yeah, the ability it, that yeah. it's, it's a closed, like, okay, so you still have variables that come into play, but you control the light through lighting. You, you, so you, you, you know what your lighting is. You control the water within, you know, I mean, orders of magnitude, less variability with orders of magnitude, less variability than what we do outdoors. You, um, you know, I don't know what other things would come into play, it, it, but it's, like, it's literally a closed loop. It's so a so clo- exactly. It, it, so the data you do collect, it's all in one it's place all, it's, and, and including all the way to a closed loop. We're, we're working with, uh, and, 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 and involved with companies that are actually doing they're, they're uh, raising fish and mm-hmm. then using the fertilizer off the fish to actually fertilize the, the plants in the vertical farming. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a fully closed fully loop. Closed Plus, loop. So you got the protein side on the fish and utilizing the fertilizer and then reuse the water. Yeah. I mean, in urban areas, that is going to revolutionize. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm not a, I don't want to say an opponent to it. I think I'm very skeptical of the ability to truly execute and, I look at it. It's kind of a, a, okay. So we're, we're doing a lot of this for, you know, to save food miles, for example. Yes. Um, there is higher yield. I really want to see the white papers that someday that do a comparison of what the real savings are. Cause when you look at electricity use and, and, uh, uh, like which, which is better, you know, ultimately strictly from a carbon carbon footprint, from an emission standpoint and energy usage, which is more efficient. Cause when we're using that natural light, I think it's, it's better. However, leafy greens, and these, these crops True. that you can grow in 60, 90 days are yes. totally different than something like an onion that takes 200 days to grow. Like and your weight. And the weight. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, you, so we can, and, and what, what Craig's referring to there is when we ship a, a truck across the country, if it's leafy greens, you're going to put 20,000 pounds, maybe. I don't even know what I should, sorry, far, sorry, leafy greens guys who's, who are listening here, who know how many pounds you get on, but you're going to cube out the truck, meaning you're going to fill the truck out by volume long before you fill it out based on a, from a weight standpoint and onions and high density things like onions and potatoes and carrots and things like that, you're going to maximize on a per pound basis, that space on that truck and its ability to ship. So our cost per pound is dramatically lower because of that. Agreed. So from a disruptive standpoint, I mean, we're we're seeing there's several things. That's why I was going to say that's a hard one to answer because there's, 
There's multitude of investments that are coming into the marketplace right now that are going to be highly disruptive over the next few years. Okay. So then most impactful or problematic, I'll let you kind of combine those two if you want. You know, problematic. I think, you know, we've seen it, you know, with, with some of the food safety traceability back to our data Island problem, the, the food safety traceability issue is a major issue. And there's been significant investment in that. In fact, that's, it's second, not for people not trying. It's just exactly. the system. I mean, it's the second most invested uh, in item as far as vertical over the last four years. And yet it still hasn't been solved hundred percent because there's still a data islands around this supply chain. And in order to get that to work, we really need to go to some centralized reporting solution of some kind or get everybody to talk to one another in, in some way and, and be able to exchange and hand on this information. That's a huge problem. That's a huge one. That was, I mean, and, and it's going to be a hard one to get everybody. To yeah. Do. And you, you've got information that people don't want to share. We just had that conversation yesterday just with yesterday. Yep. just, just, we have a, a customer supplying um, product for us. And they're like, well, we don't want you to know the farm that it comes from for, cause they're worried about, you know, you can go around them and you can, you can take that customer or something, but we're not, I, I don't want that information to, um, you know, go directly to this farmer. In this case, I want the information cause I need it for traceability. And these silos of information are, are, are problematic. And it's, it's, it's much more complicated than it seems like from the outside. The, the process of receiving, you know, an order in like, let's say is just as a distributor, not, not as, as a farmer, it's not as near as complicated because it's all our stuff we grow out here. But if we cross dock something, something comes in and we're just moving it in and out, we know where it came in from, but we don't necessarily know where that person who shipped it to us where that came from. And they may or may not have that information. Even if they do have that information, there could easily be one or two or three more steps. Like I'm sure you've seen and and you, and trying to do your trace back, have you seen what's, what's the most layers between final destination and starting point that you've seen? Well, just even within our own solution, uh-huh. we've seen one order exchange hands four different times. Yeah. That's just within our own ecosystem. Right. I mean, you, you okay. extend that outside of, of course, you know, there's no way we're going to be able to own the entire ecosystem, right. but you, you extend that out outside of our ecosystem. Yeah. It, it could be five, six times. You, yeah. I, I've talked to brokers down in California that it's unbelievable how many times that product is brokered or touched coming from an international location. Right. Right. It's, well, especially from international location, especially yeah. on like specialty items for which you're not moving full truckloads, right? Because yep. they, they have to be received in and distributed in the volumes they need, especially when you start getting down to like case lot volumes or something, it right. would just be insanely challenging. Right. It, it becomes a, a really hard problem to solve. And the only way that that's going to actually happen is if you get you know, some intermediate that everybody is willing to talk to. And I, I think even when you have that, that's still going to be a hard challenge to overcome. Yeah. It's almost like it would have to be a federal mandate to do something like that, like a central location where you share, you know, this PO shipped to this location and this is the source or something like that. You know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a skeptic of food safety. Food safety is important. It's also very frustrating on the entire process. And this is part of it, like the common and costly, extremely costly. And it's so it's not, it's very common sense, but we, it it gets very complicated. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to know that, Product X produce those carrots came from that farm. Right. But by the time you, you run them through those layers, it gets overly complicated very, very quickly. So for this audience right now, what would you, what do you want them to know? Like, what is something 
what's, what's some insider trade here that you could, you know, help them make something that, you know, like, and I don't mean about where to invest or something like that, but I mean about what's developing in the marketplace that is, that is impactful, meaningful, um, and going back to disruptive, like some, some, um, you know, like I've been, I've, I guess I'll, I'll talk about myself for a second. A lot of people were like a year ago, we started talking about the inflation numbers, like what we were seeing come in from inflation and what our packaging was doing. And people are like, Shay, you're exaggerating. Like you're totally exaggerating. Like this is, there's no way our food is going to cost us 30% more. There's no way. Mm-hmm. And I, and it's not like, I'm not more knowledgeable than other people. I just happen to be in a position in the supply chain where what I see and experience is I see an experience before anyone else, 12 to 18 months before anyone else. So now that that's actually developing and you're seeing those inflation numbers, people are, are coming back and like, well, how did you know that? You've got to have things like that, that you see that you are participating in that might be, you know, give someone an advantage in understanding where, where the market's going or what things are happening, where tech is going, et cetera. So, and I want to talk to that just briefly, because as we've gone into 2022 and looking at some of the headwinds that everybody is facing, uh, there are, I mean, there's significant headwinds in the fact that as I've interviewed uh, our customers going into 2022, I'm hearing 25 to 30% increase in just basic input costs. I'm talking fertilizer, labor costs, just those two points alone, outside of packaging and everything else that goes into actually producing any type of finished good here in the produce supply chain, it's significant. And so as far as insight, my insight would be any, any type of an investment that would mitigate or help those costs is going to be a a very positive investment. So we can pre-purchase. I mean, that's one thing you can do as a grower, but I mean, I don't, what, what does the, you know, what's the everyday person do? Uh, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm like, I'm asking for myself. So forget about everybody that's like listening here, but what I, I mean, I really, I mean, I, I, where, where do we, you know, we talked about yesterday we had a meeting. So we, we talked about, um, you know, cryptocurrencies as an example. Um, is it, you know, I would look at the real estate market. You look at all these other things. I just, I just wonder sometimes like for someone who just wants to protect a nest egg, not, not, I'm not talking millions of dollars investment, but you want to have like the, the old, um, asset that you'd go to, I would say silver or gold, right? So you're, yes. if you're, if you're worried about things imploding, like you yep. want to hold some, like just, you know, something just physical. Something physical. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's there. Is there something, I mean, is crypto the new gold or is there something else out there that you would say? We're getting of? completely off yes, topic on this, but I would love to talk a little bit about that. But I, I think that uh, crypto is still the wild, wild west as we've okay. seen huge major fluctuations with that. I think that crypto blockchain in general we haven't talked to any depth about blockchain as it relates to ag. And I, and I believe that there's going to be some technologies emerging around that, including exchanging smart contracts with blockchain and other elements, including all the way getting to the, to the point where you're getting paid for these loads in some form of crypto. Right. But as we go forward, I think that crypto is going to become much more valid once it is actually backed by something physical. Something. And I'm hearing that more and more is that there are going to be cryptos that emerge. What those are, I've got my own opinions. And right. Right. I want to get involved here, but right, yeah, we'll get uh, deep in that. I, I personally believe that there are going to be, you know, seven or eight major cryptos out there that are backed by gold and silver and other metals, palladium okay. and others. Interesting. So, cause, yeah. cause to me, that's like part of this, not, not necessarily ag tech, but tech in general. Yep. 
I really feel like, and, and I, my depth of understanding is nowhere on crypto, right? But I just, it seems like there's, there's some value there. That's a new technology that's developing, developing that is going to be very disruptive, very impactful, and in some ways, very problematic yep. um, because of, of what it's going to mean in the traditional way that we do things. And I don't know, uh, as I look forward into the future, I guess I, I just, I'm putting my head down and trying to use what Dan Collins calls the hedgehog method. Like just put my head down and just try and keep focused as narrowly and as effectively on what's at hand so that uh, we're here in five years. Cause that's the other piece of this too. All of this technology, all of what's going on currently in the economy is just the, the difficulty and by, by adding additional volatility, the difficulty that we are going to face and just doing business as usual, business as usual is not going to be there anymore. Agreed. And, and the tech side is going to be that much more critical yes. because you're going to have, you have to have those numbers. Like if we were off by two or 3% in the past on what our cost of production was, okay. You know, I mean, it was, imp- it was, it's problematic, but it, it, it we weren't going to be, off, if we were off by 3% and our cost was only up 4% where there's a 1% variation. But if, if now we're off, by that same percentage, we could be off by, by, you know, 25%. And that total dollar amount is enough to put somebody out of business in a pretty quick hurry. So that all the information that could be gathered is going to be that much more important. Agreed. Well, Craig, thank you for being on with us. Sorry. Thanks for going on the tangent with me too here for a second. No problem. Uh, yeah. I do. Don't get me started on crypto. Like I say, I could, we could do another podcast. Yeah. A whole nother podcast just on crypto. <laughs> I, that'd be good. Cause I'd learn something. Cause I, 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 I think it's cool. I can see the value maybe, but I, admittedly don't understand really much about it. And then you start talking NFTs and that's a whole other space. Now that one I don't understand at all. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks guys for being here. If, uh, if you, if you have any questions, Craig, where do they find you? Is there, is there a place uh, they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Just go to fusionware.com and you can find out there's some great videos out there to learn more about fusionware or on LinkedIn. Either one. You're on LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. So go, go check him out there. If you, uh, if you want some insight on what's happening in ag tech. And I can tell you that that is it. I get a lot of phone calls, inquiries, uh, and, and people asking about agriculture and ag tech all of the time. And that has dramatically changed over the course of the last five years. It's that much more in the last three years. And it's something people are concerned about it. And that's part of the reason that these podcasts and, and the YouTube channel and all of these things have reach is because of that interest in, by the general public and agriculture. So if you've liked what you heard today, you'd like to keep learning more, uh, come like and subscribe. Any commentary that you can throw on there is also beneficial. And I like to hear from you so that I know what kind of content you'd like to see, what you'd like to hear, and I'll catch you next time. We'll see you.